But uh, Luke 8, 22, I want to preach a sermon entitled, Where is Your Faith? If you'll stand with me, uh, we will begin reading in verse number 22 as we read uh, Scripture. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down upon the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water to obey him? God's providence is just astounding. Uh, and um, he confirms all the time that he's in control. This was uh, quite a, um, a week for me. Typically, my sermon is done Thursday afternoon. And... Um, because of the events of the week, I didn't even start studying until Thursday afternoon. And, but I'm going to tell you that by Thursday night, um, when I left the office, the Lord had spoken volumes through this short little passage. And I'm so excited to preach to you today as well. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the fact that you are the triune God, creator of the universe, who has placed within all of us the Spirit of Christ. We thank you that your providence, in your providence, everything that comes to pass is nothing, none of it is out of your control. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage the saints today. I plead with you to encourage the saints today in his name. Amen. Thank you. After a long day of, of teaching and healing people, Jesus and the disciples got into a boat. Now, let me say a word about this boat. When we start talking about the storm, the boat was not a small boat. There's indications that it was not only the 12 disciples, but also the women that supported him as well. Some of the other gospels kind of indicate that. And this was not a little John boat, and it wasn't overloaded. If you've ever been to Israel and you've seen the, 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 the disciples' boat or whatever you want to call it, uh, that they found from the era of uh, Jesus over there on the Sea of Galilee. It's not a small boat. And um, Jesus and the disciples, they began the journey to the other side. He called them there. He said, let's go to the other side. Luke says that they sailed. They didn't row. They, it, was a, it had a sail on it. They sailed to the other side, and Jesus fell asleep. Now, oftentimes, Jesus worked to the point of exhaustion, didn't he? Uh, the Bible is clear, the Gospels are clear that, that many times he would go away to rest and couldn't even rest because so many people followed him wanting to be healed mainly. Some of them wanted to hear his teaching as well. The constant demands on people fr from people from dawn until dusk had to take a physical toll on the Lord. And so for the trip across the lake, the best use of his time was to sleep. As they got into the boat and Jesus was sleeping, he had professional fishermen who spent their lives on the lake 
sailing to the other side. These men knew this lake like the back of their hand. They'd seen all kinds of different circumstances. And he wasn't sleeping, mind you, because he was in the hands of capable fishermen. He wasn't sleeping because he placed his confidence in these professionals, as we will see later. Suddenly a windstorm came down upon the lake. Now the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and it's a very fascinating thing that goes on with the Sea of Galilee. As the day goes along, it's a dry climate. What happens to hot air? Hot air rises. Well, there are two... um, two geographical features that allow for storms to come up. And if you've been, ever been over there when the weather's hot, you can get on the lake in the morning, but you don't get on the lake in the afternoon because the wind is just whipping. Matter of fact, a lot of times it's the, the kite um, surfers and stuff like that that are on the lake flying through the air or doing their thing. If you're over there now, they didn't have kite surfing back in Jesus' day. Instead, they had boats and they had mountains. Now, let me describe what happens. As hot air rises, cold air rushes in to take its place. And there are two big sources of cold air. The picture I have here shows the direction of one of the sources. That is the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I want to point this out. See this cliff right here? That is 900 feet. That is a huge, massive cliff called Arbel. This is the main highway, the Via Maris that runs right through this valley here. And this valley goes up through the Jezreel Valley, which ends at the Mediterranean Sea. And so you have the onshore breeze of the Mediterranean Sea bringing in cool air, rushing through that valley. Now you think 700 feet of air, how much weight is that? And as more and more heat comes, the, the um, Brunelli effect, if you know what that is, the, the wind speeds up. Now to the north, this is looking west, but to the north, there's this other feature called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is over 9,000 feet high, snow-capped all year long. The Jordan River starts at Mount Hermon and dumps into the Sea of Galilee, and so you have another natural valley for more cold air to come in and it whips down through the valley during the daytime. And so you can get these big waves, and particularly in the afternoon, but sometimes even at night. And this air rushes in, and the way the cold air can burst forth like a dam, gaining speed as as it gets funneled into these valleys. Last year, in fact, one time they recorded 25 foot waves on this little lake. 25 foot waves. So this is not a small event going on. The weather was too much for this large boat and the experienced fishermen. The storm came suddenly, and they did everything in their power to deal with the situation. They were sailing the vessel. The vessel was rising and falling through the swells, riding on top of one crest and crashing down through the waves, and it seemed almost like they were going to the bottom of the sea. And the boat was filling so rapidly with water. What does verse number 23 say? They were in danger. This is not an exaggeration. Jesus was with them in an area. They are in very real danger. The Bible doesn't exaggerate. The the Bible is telling the truth when it says 
They were in danger. Their lives were in danger. Now, all of us face storms of difficulty and trouble. People lose their jobs or suffer some other financial hardship, and they get tossed by the waves of worry. They receive a bad diagnosis or struggle with some chronic illness, and they're flooded with fear. They, they uh, have painful interpersonal conflicts at home, in the neighborhood, at work, or even in the church, and they feel like they are sinking. They lose someone they love, and they're drowned with sorrow. Or perhaps they're just simply swamped with all the little duties and difficulties of simple, everyday existence. And we must pass through the heavy seas of life's troubles, shouldn't we? We will. Peter said this. Now, Peter, who was in the boat at this time, wrote this in his epistle. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes to test you as though it's something strange happening to you. And so what is Peter telling us? He's telling us that all of us will face fiery trials. The, com- the disciples were completely helpless. There's nothing they can do. They were in a situation they thought they could handle, and then suddenly and unexpectedly a storm swept through, and they were in danger of drowning. The boat was filling with water. And like the disciples, many times we will, we will be in a situation where we think we can handle it, but suddenly, unexpectedly, we are afraid that we are in danger of drowning from life circumstances as well. Have you ever been in a trial where you feel absolutely powerless? I'm there. To be, honest, be quite personal, I'm there. Completely powerless. And it's these times that test our soul. Now, here's a question. What should we do when trouble comes? When the disciples were in danger, they cried to Jesus to save them. What did they say? They said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, there was a problem with their response, and we'll get to that in a minute. But at least the disciples knew where to get to help, right? They were in danger of drowning, or at least uh, they think that they are. And, and um, at the very least, they knew where they could get to help. Now, when we are in danger of drowning from life circumstances, we should cry out to Jesus. If we're burdened with sins, we cry out to him for mercy, asking him to save us through his cross and empty tomb, right? If we're struggling to make ends meet, we cry out to him for daily bread. If we're buffeted by physical pain, we cry out to him for patience and endurance. If we're torn by, by conflict, we cry out to him for the peace of his spirit. If we're overwhelmed with sorrow, we cry to him for comfort of his presence. In every rough and stormy squall, even to the point of death itself, we call upon Jesus. And when we call on Jesus, he is able and willing to help, as the disciples discovered. 
In times of trouble, there's no one better to call on than Jesus Christ. Because no one is better equipped to save. Look at verse number 24 with me. Verse number 24 says, uh, He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Now, in this little story, we see both the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. Jesus' humanity, he needed sleep. Now, I want you to think about something. He's the God of the universe. And yet, he still needed sleep. Right? Just because he was God didn't didn't mean that he gave himself some supernatural power to keep on going. He was a human being, and he needed sleep. But at the same time, we see his deity in that he rules over the forces of nature. The same person who in his humanity needed sleep had so much power that with a word, the Sea of Galilee could go like glass. This is a genuine and immediate miracle. One moment, the disciples were almost drowning in the heavy seas. The next moment, uh, they're floating serenely on the smooth surface of the uh, Sea of Galilee. The storm ceased. The sea calmed immediately, and there was not a natural explanation for it. Now, what's the point? The point is that only God can rescue us from peril. He's the only one that can deliver us. In the stillness of the storm, there were two crucial questions that were asked. The first question Jesus asked, and it's a question we need to ask for ourselves, where is your faith? And the second question was one the disciples asked, and everyone needs to answer that question, who is this man? Now when Jesus asked them, where's your faith? That was a rhetorical question. The obvious implication was that they weren't actually trusting Jesus. Did you notice one feature? During the storm, the disciples were frantic and Jesus was sleeping. I'll take it one step further. Jesus knew the storm was coming and he slept. They were only looking at the danger forgetting that they were safe with Jesus. They asked for his help only as last resort. They were almost hysterical. They assumed the worst. And this is the problem with their question. They assumed the worst. They said, we are perishing. In other words, help Jesus. We're dying here. Their assumption was that Jesus didn't know and he didn't care. It's easy for us to do. Jesus, there's all these other more important people than me out here. I think many of us can empathize with our situation. There are times when our livelihoods are in danger. Maybe death is at the door. Maybe your livelihood is 
threatened because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian, stand. You pray and pray and pray. And what does it feel like? It feels like God's asleep on the cushion somewhere. not easy, is it? When the water is high and the storm is raging, it's easy to think that we're going down for the last time. How many times have you been through a trial and God saw you through it and you started a new trial and all of a sudden it's like, this is a brand new thing. God can't deliver me from this one. It's so easy to think that God doesn't know and God doesn't care that we're drowning. And if he did, obviously he would wake up and do something, right? No matter how desperate our situation, we can trust God to bring us safely through whatever trial, whatever difficulty we're going through. I want to point out three great truths that give us reason to trust God even even in the most difficult circumstances. Number one, even if those circumstances are life or death, we should trust Jesus because even the storms of life are under his sovereign control. Every single storm is under his sovereign control. Remember, it was Jesus who said, sail across to the other side. We cannot avoid the fact that Jesus was in control of the whole chain of events of this passage. To deny that is to deny that he is God. He took the disciples across the lake where the storm was going to burst forth and endanger their lives. Their lives were in genuine danger and Jesus put them there. Think about that. Anybody who says, my God would never place me in a point where I'm in danger, they don't worship the same God that we worship. Having a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ does not mean that we escape all life troubles. On the contrary, Christians suffer the same natural disasters the same sinful um, uh, actions of others, the same daily misfortunes as everyone else. In fact, sometimes knowing Jesus takes us right into the storm when in some way we suffer for our faith. But you know what this means? Or let me, what it does not mean. What it does not mean is that God is always the source of our suffering because He's not. Some of our suffering is caused by our own sin. Some of, some of our suffering is due to the sin of others. God can never be the author of evil. He never is. Joseph made that very clear to his brothers, didn't he? In fact, I'll tell you something else. Scripture teaches over and over that physical suffering, physical sickness, physical problems 
are often brought on by Satan or his demons. Look at how many times in the Gospels alone somebody is bent over because of a, a demon. Somebody's child has thrown himself in the fire because of a demon. And you can go back to Job and other characters in the Old Testament as well. But it doesn't mean that our sufferings never... It, it, what, but what it means, because he's in sovereign control, is that our suffering never catches God by surprise. He never looks down and says, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Right? He always knows when we're headed for stormy troubles. Sometimes, in order to accomplish his work in our lives, he even guides him into this. I hesitate to say this, but this is a personal experience because this happened to our family. Um, my birthday was June 2nd, and um, that day uh, uh, I, I, did, I went up into the mountains and went hiking for the morning. And when I came, Heather texted me, she said, I can't wait for you to get home. I got home. The Lord, the Bible study that she had been doing was just a blessing. She talked to me for a half hour about what God had been doing in her heart through her Bible study. That was June 2nd. June 3rd, she started having trouble. June 4th, we're in the emergency room. And if I had, in looking back on it, God was strengthening her heart, getting her ready for the trouble that she was about to face. And God does that, doesn't he? He strengthens you for trouble. He knows where we're headed. And sometimes in order to accomplish his work in our lives, he even guides trouble our way. That was certainly true in this case, because Jesus uh, could have looked at them and said, hey, you know what? There's going to be a storm tonight. Let's just stay here on shore and we'll go tomorrow when the sea's better. Couldn't he? That's what we would do. That's not the way our Savior works. He did this. He told them to go across the lake because this is for the testing of their faith and the training of their souls. And it's no different for you and I. Whenever tr the, whatever troubles we're facing, God has brought us to this point in our lives and He's using our present experiences to make us more like Jesus. He's shaping us into the image of His glorious Son. Isn't it painful though? J.C. Ryle, I love J.C. Ryle. He's become my favorite preacher, I think. He's the English uh, Englishman from late 1800s, early 19th or 20th century. He said this. Listen to what he said. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we would never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness and draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world and makes us long for heaven. I'm going to continue just a second. Don't trials make you long for heaven? They do. Then he goes on to say, In the resurrection morning, we shall say, It is good for me that I was afflicted, and we shall thank God for every storm. I had somebody, um, my best friend lives in Memphis. And I was talking to him uh, two weeks ago when when things were bad, awful. The Sunday that uh, Heather had surgery, it was a horrible day. And uh, I called him. And he's 
I'm sorry, I shouldn't even be telling this, but he strengthened my soul. He said, Jared, he said, this is a hard trial. There's no doubt about it. And he said, you don't understand why it's this way. But he said this. He said, the moment, literally the moment you step in the glory, you're going to see everything clearly, and you're going to go, my, I understand now why he did this. We don't understand it now. I don't know what you're going through as your trial right now. And you may not understand. You may be saying, God, why me? But God has a purpose. And when you get to heaven, and your memory is not going to be erased, by the way. Your memory will not be erased. If your memory is erased, then you can't glorify him for your salvation. Okay, now think about it. The moment you step into heaven, you will look back what J.C. Ryle said. It was good for me that I was afflicted. Let me give you number two. Number two truth. Even in stormy troubles, Jesus set the perfect examples. One of the most surprising things about this episode is that somehow Jesus managed to sleep his way through most of it. On a cushion, as Mark tells us. This testifies to the true humanity of Christ. To stay asleep in such a storm he must have been completely exhausted. But it's also to know this, that Jesus had complete confidence in the loving care of his Father. How was Jesus able to rest easy during such a violent storm? Partly because he was so tired, but also because he had faith in his Father. If Jesus had to look after his own life, undoubtedly he would have awakened when the first wave crashed over the bow. That's what we do. We feel the need to stay alert for every danger. We worry about our finances. We're afraid what might happen to our children. We agonize over situations at work. Our health takes a, takes a downturn and things are serious. And these are many other concerns keep us up at night. Somehow we always feel that we need to keep an eye on things just to be safe. And you know what the problem with that is? It's exhausting. And the root is that we're not trusting God. That's the root. We do not rest in our Father's care the way that Jesus did. I want to give you the last one. The most comforting truth, number three, three reasons to trust Jesus, is that He's in the boat with us. He's in the boat with us. I'll explain in just a minute. Jesus got into the boat with them. He was with them when they sailed across the lake. He was with them when the wind began to rise and the waves crashed over the bow. And he's with them when they cried for help. So why were they so afraid? Jesus is on board with us as we ride out the storm. Jesus told his disciples, I will send another comforter. That word another, it, the word specifically means another of the same kind because jesus is god the holy spirit is god and the father is god they have the same character in three different essences right now listen that is why the new testament can say you have the spirit of christ in you because the holy spirit is just like jesus christ all the uh, godly attributes of christ are in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says He dwells in you. 
So guess what? He's in the boat with you. That means the one, the power of the one who created the universe is with you. The song, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. The one who calmed the storm lives in you. If you want to get specific about the Holy Spirit, the Genesis says that the Spirit moved over the face of the waters in creation. That's how much power is inside you. Why should we be afraid? We can depend upon Him in every desperate situation. Listen to the wonderful promise of Isaiah. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Are you redeemed? I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Think about how personal that is. When you get saved, God calls you by name. Jesus said, I know my sheep. I call, their vo- I call them. They hear my voice. They are mine. You are His. No circumstance is going to be outside of His will, outside of His control. But then He goes on to say this, So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Speaking of probably the Red Sea. Through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. Talking about the Jordan River through the Exodus. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Going back to talking about Daniel. The flame will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your what? Is that the same Savior? Same Savior saved them that saved you? Then that promise is for you. Where is your faith? That's the question. Is it in the God who created and rules the universe? It's no accident that Christians have used the boat as a symbol for the church. Did you know that? It goes all the way back to Noah and the ark. The New Testament tells us Christ was the ark. That's the New Testament interpretation. Christ was the ark that got Noah through the raging floodwaters. And Christ is the ark that will get you through the raging floodwaters of your life. Jesus exercises control over forces that otherwise will overwhelm us. God will deliver, but many times that deliverance comes by going completely through the trial. You don't get a a get-out-of-jail-free card with, with Jesus. And so therefore, whenever we feel like we're drowning, we need to ask ourselves, Where's my faith? When you're up in the middle of the night with worry, where's my faith? This is a question that Jesus asked his disciples, and he asked it because he knew they had every reason to trust in him. And we have even more reason to trust Jesus. Why? Because we saw his love on the cross. Right? We experience his power through the empty tomb, and we've been given his spirit to stay in us wherever we go. Therefore, when the storms come, we trust Jesus to get us safely to shore. The second question that was asked is, who is this Jesus? Look at what the, how the story ends. Verse number 25. 
And they were afraid and marveled. I had to cut that section completely out of my, my sermon. It was so long. There's marvel and, and fear are two things that always go in a revelation of God. Whether you go all the way back to the Exodus, uh, actually you can go further than that, back to the time of the patriarchs. Or when people like Isaiah saw the throne. Fear and marvel, they go together. The disciples, uh, they, they, I'm sorry, they afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the wind and the water to obey him? The disciples had been afraid of the storm, but now they were even more afraid. Not in the sense that they thought that Jesus would harm them, but in the sense that they were in awe of what he had done. Who is this that's in the boat with us? Yeah, we've seen him heal people, but to do something with nature, that's completely different. They knew, and we'll look at that in just a minute, they knew that this is only an act of God Almighty. Jesus just proved that he's, he's more powerful than the mightiest storm at sea. I'm going to keep talking, but turn to um, Psalm 107. Psalm 107. I'll get there in just a second. But Jesus proved that he was even more powerful than the mightiest storm. This overwhelmed them with feelings of reverent fear and transcendent awe. Have you ever been overwhelmed by God? They knew from the Old Testament that it was only the Lord that had the ability to do something like this. Tell me if this little section of Psalm 107 doesn't sound like uh, what the disciples went through. Verse number 23. Some went down to the sea or to, in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from the distress. Now look, He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. And look at the last verse. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let me tell you something. Whatever storm you're in, you may have to weather the whole storm, but God will see you to the haven. The commanding power that Jesus had over the wind and the waves was a clear demonstration of his deity. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of the sea, which makes perfect sense because he created it. Key passages throughout the New Testament testify to this. At the beginning of his gospel, John tells us all things were created, uh, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Paul tells us, for by him all things were created. All things were created through him, and all things were created, what? For him. Colossians 1.16, 1 Corinthians 1.8. Or again, the book of Hebrews tells us that it was through Jesus that God created the world. Hebrews 1.2. The book of Revelation praises Jesus as the God who made all things and by whose will they were created. Revelation 4.11. I could go on and on and on. 
So when Jesus calmed the storm, he was exercising his right to rule the world that he had made. Creation's creator is also creation's Lord. That's profound. Let me say it one more time. Creation's creator is creation's Lord, right? Are you his creation? Then he's your Lord. The disciples witnessed this firsthand when their master stood up in a boat and rebuked the sea. Who is this Jesus? He's the Lord of the storm, the ruler of nature, and the God of all creation. You know what? There can be no real hope unless we put all our hope in Jesus. Otherwise, the hostile waves of life They're going to pull us down, and we'll have nowhere to turn. There's only one one place to turn, and that's to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you something. Where's your faith? Where are your eyes? Are your eyes on your storm? Or eyes on your Savior? It makes all the difference in the world. Lord, We thank you so much for this short little passage absolutely packed with spiritual truth. So packed, Lord. We thank you that you're God of the universe. We know that when trials come our way, one of your purposes in the trial is to make us more like Jesus Christ. So I pray that In the midst of our trial, as we complain to the Lord about our trial, that we will also plead with the Lord to do the work that only He can do in our hearts to conform us to the image of His Son. I pray, Lord, as I have been praying this week, please encourage your saints. Please, please encourage your saints today. I ask that when they walk out of this little room today that they will have so much confidence in Christ in your great and glorious and wonderful name. Amen.